as we elongate this midlife where you've got active, independent, engaged, and influential population in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, that we are going to see much more activity from this audience, that population, demanding more from their healthcare, from their financial services, from their housing, from the media, from travel, from every dimension of their life. And that, I'd say, self-advocacy is going to create a much more flourishing private sector. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. If that describes you, then this is the podcast for you. If you're a freelancer, a startup or small business, a well-established company, a nonprofit, or even someone thinking about a second or possibly a third career, this is for you too. You see, here in Looking Forward, we focus on global trends in the future, but most importantly, on the opportunities they're creating. Our guest experts will not only tell you about those opportunities, they will also give you some tips to help you take the first steps toward capitalizing on them. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Hi, everybody. Do you think the fact that people are living longer is creating global opportunities? Well, you betcha. I forecasted this years ago in my book, Successful Marketing to the 50-Plus Consumer. Hope you enjoy learning from my guest expert, Abby Levy, about the longevity economy and the many opportunities it is and will create. To find out more about Abby, please listen to the episode or check the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified immediately after new episodes are posted. Okay, let's get going. Well, hi, Abby. Welcome to Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and investment seekers. Hey, nice to see you, Jeff. Well, it's great to see you, Abby. I have been interested in getting you on the show for a while. I've been tracking primetime partners to an extent. You and I have spoken in the past. You know this is a subject that is near and dear to me. I got in on it very early, and I'm jokingly now telling people that once I turned 50, I lost interest in the longevity economy, (laughs) but that's not really true. I'm still very much interested in it. So as an expert on the longevity economy, can you please tell us how you got interested in it and what got you started in this? You've done a lot of interesting things. We'll be talking about you in the write-up and so forth. How did you get into this, Abby? You're too young to be involved in the longevity economy. Oh, everybody is involved in longevity. The minute you're born, well, that's uh, we, true. All want, we all want a life, yes, uh, a healthy yes, we life, do. a secure life. And frankly, we got to start planning for it when we're younger in order to enjoy it as we age. But I got into this space. I'm a former entrepreneur and operator and marketer. Then I got into this space like many people do through my own personal experience. Many people come to the longevity economy because they've had a poor interaction with the healthcare system or have had aging parents. I'm very lucky my parents are both very healthy and very vocal. (laughs) You are lucky. Uh, Yes, but I did come to it through a narrative of my father who uh, was prematurely retired. And I saw that in his 60s and 70s, he's now 87, he didn't find a lot of work opportunities and frankly, extracurricular opportunities and it begged the question of, if you're not a one percenter and you don't play golf, you know, what do you do in your 60s and 70s yeah. and 80s? And since 
according to the World Health Organization, 50% of people born after 2007, so my kids' generation, they'll live to be 100. What are, how do we plan for the 100-year life when, as a society, we kind of stop in the workplace in our 50s? And frankly, there's this view that as soon as you're 65 years old, you're a senior citizen. But if you're going to be in that role for 35 years, how do we plan for that? And so that really was my interest, is, was starting with solving the question for my father and then really a very long, deep dive into the space to recognize that there just weren't enough compelling private sector solutions, entrepreneurs, looking at solving issues across healthcare or across financial security and across you know meaningful experiences and ways to live as we age. And this is not just a U.S. issue. 25% of the global population will be age 65 plus. And that is more acute in some countries like Japan and in the United States. It's a very acute issue. It sure is. And what you say makes perfect sense. I can remember, I don't know if they're still using this term, Abby, but when I was really focused on the 50 plus market, we didn't call it then the longevity economy. There was something called the third age that they were talking about, which was this third phase of life. And I also remember hearing somebody say that many people would spend more years in retirement than they would be working, right? So a lot of what you're saying there really speaks to that. And we want to have not just long life, but high quality life. So it's interesting to hear that your father was in part the impetus to get you involved with this. When I was involved with this, which was in the 80s and 90s, I was really involved with it then. We saw opportunities. And I think I probably got in a little bit early. So what is it that is creating this longevity economy? or the interest in it, Abby, because I'll tell you, I remember giving presentation, putting up slides for people. I'm talking in the 90s, late 80s and 90s, and I would project out to 2010. And it was so clear that we had this inexorable age wave, as Ken Dykewald called it, upon us. And I guess a lot of businesses weren't taking it seriously. So what has made it, to some extent, catch on? Well, I think there's a few things that have made this more topical. The first is that some of these demographic shifts always seem so far in the future. There were reports, you know, by 2030 was one of the big reports that everyone quoted. But 2030 is around the quarter. It is now. (laughs) So one thing is is this demographic shift that is here. It's upon us. But the second piece really has been COVID. COVID has accelerated people's interest in the space. And I think really for a few reasons. One is that for the first time ever, for the, on the cover of every newspaper, every news channel for several first months of COVID, nursing homes was the front page story. True. And whenever have we really shined a light on how we age, the way we treat some members of our aging population. And it really became a front and center issue around the growing old. So that's one point. The second point is that everyone became a caregiver. You know, I couldn't talk to a single one of my friends who wasn't helping an aunt, a great aunt, a, you know, a parent, a grandparent get access to medicine, get access to food, grocery, concerned about a loved one who was older. And so we all became caregivers. So that took the 53 million American caregivers and turned it into 300 to close to 400 million caregivers. And so because of that, it became personal. And that's another reason why people, I think, are more interested in the longevity economy. And then lastly, 
you know, there have been some businesses that have started to gain steam. There's a business called Papa, which has, it was the first unicorn, frankly, uh, to use a financial term of a, of a startup <laughs> that get valued at a billion dollars, not a billion dollars of revenue, but they're valued in terms of the way that investors think about it. Papa was business dedicated to helping seniors in social isolation. That was one of the first businesses. So we're starting to see a couple, not many, but we're starting to see a couple of businesses gain real traction and be a very interesting financial opportunity. Interesting that you pointed out COVID and caregiving as part of the impetus for the greater interest. I was talking about caregiving years ago, but I COVID really, as you said, Abby, it brought it to the fore. One thing I would like you to comment on briefly before we get into the global situation is we seem to still have this dichotomy. On the one hand, there's a recognition that clearly there are great opportunities in targeting people as they're over 50 and 60 and whatever, as you're doing and your company is doing. On the other hand, we're still seeing this ageism that people are talking about. Yeah. How do you make sense out of this? To me, the people who are ageist, the businesses are missing the boat. They've been missing it for 40 years. I was talking about this 30 years ago. What's the deal? Oh, such a great question and a very complex one. In fact, I was just speaking with some of the leadership over at Columbia's School of Public Health about this this morning. I think there's a, a couple of issues going on, one on the individual level and the other on the institutional level. To start with the institutional level, I do believe that the uh, financial ROI of employing older adults, of keeping people in the workforce longer, has yet to be demonstrated from a pure dollars and cents point of view. There is still the interpretation that older, more experienced hires have bigger salaries so I can retire one and hire two for the same salary. And that is absolutely missing the boat. And as employers have gotten more comfortable with part-time work and now remote work, thank you, COVID, we're starting to see ways that retirement age being pushed out. So I think that's one area of ROI is that employers are seeing it. The second is on behalf of marketers. So while older adults command two-thirds of the net worth of our country, less than 10% of marketing dollars targets this audience. But as we see in the in the press now, or just, you know, as people anecdotally say, 10,000 people turning 65 every day, that audience is very different than the people turning 65 were 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Because people turning 65 today are digitally native. They've been in the workforce or in the home workforce, all using technology. They have a different perspective on how they want to live their life and the consumption around that. And it's wealthiest generation we've ever seen. And so part of the ageism is also being able to combat that with media and marketing. So at an institutional level, we have an issue in the workplace and we have an issue in our media and marketing. And I see both of those things starting to change as the business case becomes not just about the right thing to do, but financially beneficial to do. And then there's another piece that I've I've just been thinking about and trying to articulate, which is that we are all ageist. And the reason I say that is because we are all afraid, not all. If you are afraid of your own aging, that by definition gives you a bias against aging. Sure. And until every person, and that's why I say longevity is something we need to be starting to think about at every age, 
until we start to imagine, plan for, and embrace and be excited about life in our 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, then we're ages to ourselves. And that, I think, can permeate. And so one of the things that I think would be the best thing for our society to combat ageism is a public service campaign that encourages people of all ages to write out their life plan, their goals at every age. I'm very lucky. My business partner, who is 88 years old, he just walked the marathon and you know, he says he's going to live to be 114. And think <laughs> about how different the choices you make are and the way you live your life. If you embrace that at 88, he's still got a lot of living to do. So I think ageism is definitely, you know, embedded in our institutions, but it will really only change at the atomic or the individual level. Very good point. I could comment on a lot of that, but the only thing I want to say is the one thing you said, which had to do with the people who are turning 65 today are different than the people who turned 65 10 years ago. You said they're digital natives. Reminds me of a commercial. I don't know if you remember it. But they used to say, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. Yes. I'm dating myself. But it's the same kind of a concept, right? This is not your parent here. This is you. And you're a lot younger. And advertisers hopefully are more and more recognizing that. Looking forward, as you know, Abby, is heard by listeners around the world, you, you touched on this, but I'd like you to touch on it a little bit more. This Aging phenomenon, this longevity economy that we're talking about, yeah, it's in the United States. Yeah, it's in North America. But we're not just about North America. Where are some of the other areas where we're seeing this phenomenon? I mean, I would say it's a phenomenon. I just think it's the foundation right now, society that has shifted from agrarian, multifamily tribal living. I mean, if you think about if we really want to get, you know, at the highest level, I mean, when (laughs) when people lived in tribes, the elders always had a role. They were the leaders. They were the teachers. That was their role. And we've moved across this modernization and industrialization where there really is no role or a lesser role for people with that kind of seniority and expertise. And, And also, you know, they don't live together in the same way. I mean, we've been looking at a few businesses in India and India is one of the cultures where multifamily, multi-generational living has always been yeah. the norm. Yeah. And first time ever, you have kids who say, I don't want my mom to move in with me, or she doesn't, <laughs> you know, or I live somewhere else. I've left my community. I live in the US or I live in the city. And so mom's on her own. And so that creates these fractures in how we always used to think about aging. And then that gets compounded because as you know, when it used to be mom's going to live with me for two years, now mom's living with you for 30 years because, you know, of longevity. And so I do think that, you know, this isn't a phenomenon. This is an evolution. And as an evolution, we need to be able to shape slowly the where we want to be in the next 20, 30 years. Yes, good point. If I can refer to it as a demographic tidal wave, Yes. What other countries are and will experience this? Because we have listeners all over the world, and you mentioned India as an example. Where else would you be looking to because they're dealing with the same kinds of things? Absolutely. I mean, Japan has always been touted as the most severe case because right now, 30% of the population is age 65 plus. 
And like the U.S., they have both a public and a private uh, healthcare system. And so where this is felt most acutely is where older adults, I would say, are not cared for by the state. While we do have Social Security and we do have Medicaid and Medicare, uh, we, you know, we don't provide housing for older adults, in, you know, historically in this country, unless right. they're in senior nursing facilities. And so Japan is having a housing issue uh, and a healthcare issue. China, of course, has a very large older adult population, but they have a public health care system and they have public housing availability. Okay. So I think where we're going to see the most acute issues is where you have the population, the demographics is pretty much the same across the globe. The question is, what is the health care and the housing and the financial support for an aging population? And different and countries differ on those kind of infrastructure and social agendas. Yes, and I know that certainly one of the areas where there's a tremendous amount of aging, i.e. the ratio between older people and younger people is really getting distorted. Countries like Italy, Germany. Yeah. I would think that the trend of longevity is affecting those countries quite a bit as well. Yes, I think, again, because of the smaller populations, they are managing those issues through government programs much better than Mm. is happening in India and the U.S. and countries with with much larger populations. It's also interesting. We've looked at 1,100 startups in the past two years. Wow. And there are very few startups coming out of those uh, European countries because, again, they just have a lot of the social layer figured out and not as much of a private pay culture. Yeah. Abby, that is very interesting. I had not thought about things in those terms before. So thank you for pointing that out. The the difference between having an infrastructure of sorts to take care of people as they age and not having it. And you need the private sector more so in those other countries that don't have it to help fill the gap. Great point. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about Looking Forward, opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. And hey, if you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or maybe even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation, and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. As you know, Abby, our primary focus is on opportunities. Yes. And as we take a look at this longevity economy that you have really lasered into with Primetime Partners, we're trying to help people find opportunities. We're trying to help people who may be looking for their first or third job or a second career or a first career or 
they're looking for an investment opportunity, a freelancer, entrepreneur, whatever, you know, investors starting a new business. Where do you see opportunities, Abby? Absolutely. I'll start with the training and education of where there's opportunities to kind of become a professional in a field. And I'll, I'll cite two areas. One, as you, as many of the listeners may know, we have a care crisis in the U.S. There's a shortage of care workers. That was only exacerbated by COVID. And we do not have enough social workers, mental health workers, home care workers, nurses, et cetera. And so I think there's a tremendous opportunity, whether it's through online certification or going back to community college, there is a real opportunity to participate in the healthcare care worker economy. And that also there are part-time jobs, there's full-time jobs, you know, things that really the employer has needed to adapt to a modern workforce. And so I absolutely believe there are opportunities in that field, full stop. I think another area that is interesting is within human resources. Uh, when we think about DEI, it has historically been focused on, it used to be women, and then there was enough, that parity started to get a little bit better. And then it was on underrepresented communities, including people of color and religious differences and, and sexual preference differences. But one of the community, underserved communities that has not really been addressed in the corporate HR world has been older adults. And we're just starting to see whether that's these off-rampings and retirement programs, alumni programs, and then within the workplace, programs that celebrate and embrace the reality of having a multi-generational workforce. So I think there's opportunities to specialize in your career from that perspective. So that's in terms of if I were saying, you know, someone wants to go back to school or pivot to a new career. But then there are opportunities, I think, what I would like to say is ways to let's make money but I guess it's to augment what you're doing. And there's a few areas that that I see it that would be interesting. One is, you know, platforms where you teach others. There is a lot, there's a platform, for example, called Get Set Up, which is seniors teaching seniors. And it, you're not going to get rich, but it is additional income to be in a role where you can teach others what you've learned. And I think you're going to increasingly see platforms. We're working on what, one right now, actually, uh, incubating a business that's a creator platform where experts and hobbies and passions from gardening to reading to movie clubs can organize groups and, and basically create new experiences and new enrichment experiences that people want to join and pay for, kind of like a modern local why, but delivered peer to peer. And so I think that creator economy meets educator. There's lots of opportunities there. And then the next place that I also see an opportunity is in the retirement savings space. So, you know, one of the things that we forget or is that, you know, we think that we need to rely on big companies for used to be they would provide pensions. And now most large companies are mandated to provide a 401k. A 401k is one of the very few, I'd say, free money out there because it grows tax-free and oftentimes you can corporate match. And the piece though that we forget is a lot of folks are what I call solopreneurs. They run their own business. They work for themselves. But if you run your own business and work for yourself, you need to go get a 401k. Yeah. And you can. And the reason you get a 401k is because it's, it again, it's tax grows tax-free, which is an advantage. It's forced savings, which we all need a little discipline. But lastly, if you run your own business, it's tax advantage when you put a corporate match in there because you're basically putting pre-tax, pre-Uncle Sam dollars 
into your pocket. And that was something that wasn't possible in the past to be a, so, an individual entrepreneur to run a small business. We've invested in a business called Penelope, like a, a named yeah. after her daughter, yeah. founder named after her Penelope. And she's saying to everybody, you need a retirement savings plan and you can afford to get one. So I think that there are pieces around, I'd say, financial responsibility that either helps you not necessarily make money, but be prudent about making sure you keep the money that you are earning. Right. How about a huge one? Medical, you know, devices, care, and then technology. Yes. So, I mean, listen, if you have an idea and you have either the research to support it or some showing that it proves that it reduces medical costs, reduces trips to hospital, can help people, you know, absolutely reach out to me at abby at primetimepartners.com. <laughs> I think as investment opportunities, you know, I just would be very cautious about investing without really having the expertise and not expertise, but the comfort that the fa- the business you would be investing in really has sales channels, whether the sales channels are selling to individual consumers or to various other enterprises. And so I, I really think that being an investor takes a certain level of understanding of the market. And yeah. so I really never advise for anybody to, I have a friend who's starting a business, they want me to back them. I'm, I'm always very cautious in those situations. Yeah, I can understand that. Looking forward is also called looking forward, Abby, because we're looking ahead. So as we think about the rest of this decade, I won't ask you to go beyond that magical year of 2030, yeah. which is coming up soon, but just in the rest of this decade, of course, we don't know what happens with COVID or anything else. But how do you see things evolving in terms of this longevity economy, the interest in it, the opportunities it's going to create? What do I see? I see that there is this gap in the market between the 50-year-old and the older adult in decline. Most of the longevity market has been focused on the older adult in decline, Mm. whether that's senior housing to healthcare to some of the financial products really focused on this decline. But as we elongate this midlife where you've got active, independent, engaged, and influential population in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, that we are going to see much more activity from this audience, that population, demanding more from their healthcare, from the financial services, from their housing, from the media, from travel, from every dimension of their life. And that, I'd say, self-advocacy is going to create a much more flourishing private sector. Because right now, the private sector really hasn't been paying attention to middle age. And as that becomes elongates and becomes much more attractive. So I do see a lot more private sector interest. And that audience is really changing. So I absolutely see that. So what, what does that mean? That means we will see new housing models where, you know, there's something between I own, you know, my own house and I'm paying taxes at a good school district, but I don't need this much space. But I don't want to go live only, as my mother would say, with the Alta Caucus, <laughs> the, the very old. And I think we'll see different types of housing models. We're going to see different employment models. We're going to see different media, different fashion brands that address one of the things. There was a founder that came to me and said, I'm only making clothes that have sleeves on them for women. And I paused and she said, because a woman in our fifth, in, you know, as she ages, she doesn't want people to see her arms. <laughs> Gravity. 
that <laughs> there's all sorts of opportunities yeah. if you really <laughs> understand this this audience. That's one thing that I see. The second thing I see is that big business is starting to take a look at this space. If, you, if you're P&G, and I've had conversations with people at some of the larger CPG companies, that desired, you know, 40-year-old woman who is the chief buyer for her family, as she ages, they don't want to lose her, but they don't have a product assortment for her. And so now you see a lot of these companies starting to offer perimenopause, menopause, you know, all the types of products because their audience, 20-year-olds aren't buying P&G products anymore. So if they can't serve their core consumer who is aging up, then they lose that. And the same thing with a lot of financial services institutions. The younger audience is choosing different brands. And with this wealth transfer coming up as this generation, people keep talking about it's the largest wealth transfer of a generation. Well, as this affluent group, uh, you know, will pass on, they're passing that those assets to a generation that may or may not want to go to traditional financial services business institutions. So they're also thinking about, listen, I got to make sure I have something appealing that will make sure that those assets transfer to the next generation. And so I think we're starting to see, you know, larger corporates curious about the space, how aggressive they are going to be in product and marketing is to be determined. But I do see, think by 2030, you're going to see a lot more big brands having offerings from sure people in midlife. Excellent. All you younger people, listen to what Abby's saying. Lots of opportunity. Just to clarify, for some people, P&G, Procter & Gamble, if you're not in the United States, you might not know P&G, although they're an international company, CPG, Consumer Packaged Goods. That's the lingo. What Abby's talking about here is an extended middle age. We're talking about an extended middle age. So what tips would you give, Abby, you're an expert on this, to people who want to get started either on the path to a new job that relates to the longevity economy, starting a new business, uh, maybe they want to change careers because they've had it and they still want to do something else. And Abby's telling me about something I'm excited about. What would be a few steps you might suggest they take? So again, I, I'm not an expert. I am just a practitioner. But I do think a few steps are figuring out what area suits you. Because as I mentioned, there is kind of the care economy and healthcare or care-related roles. And that first step is usually to, you need some sort of training or certification. Again, whether it's mental health, social work, home care, or other types of, of, of nursing or care that is where you need some certification and that you can Google and you know figure out which programs are, are appropriate for you. So I think that's one lens. A second lens is around you know retirement planning and, and retirement. And there again, there are careers in that role where you could become a CFRP, the certified retirement planner. Those are you know roles around retirement planning, life coaching, career coaching. There's really a lot of this, you know, how do you plan ahead? for this this point of view, but again, requires some training. And then lastly, in terms of starting a business, I think you need to really listen to a segment of the audience and solve a problem. One of the things that's so amazing about this audience is historically, we bucketed seniors as a homogeneous group, as if people from 65 to 100 and something are all the same. And imagine if you were to say that people the similar age bracket, 15 to 50 were all the same. 
we'd say, no, you can't put those all in the same demographic segment, but somehow we do with older adults. Right. So I think figuring out if there's a specific audience that you know where you care about, it could be an audience based on ethnicity, because as we age, we tend to very much stick with our own ethnic and cultural backgrounds. So what are solutions that address and are relevant to different populations of different ethnicities? What about people with physical differences, cognitive differences? And so, uh, you know, really understanding a segment of a population that you care about that you'd like to solve for, go talk to them, go listen to them. What are their pain points? And what are the things that you might have a role in solving? Exactly. Good tips. Two other areas that I won't have you comment on, but they kind of strike me. Obviously, healthcare. Everybody thinks about healthcare when they think about longevity economy or people aging. And the other one is travel. Travel presents so many opportunities because people are going to want to travel longer and maybe they'll have the time to do that and have the well-being to do it. Abby, I'm wondering about one other thing, and that is you at Primetime Partners have a whole portfolio now of companies. I've looked at the list. It's amazing. And they're diverse. You've talked about opportunities. Could you say a little bit more maybe about a company or two that you're working with that exemplify what you've been talking about? So yeah, absolutely. I have a great example. It's a business called Adaly. And Adaly was founded by an entrepreneur by the name of Maggie Norris. And she's looking to solve the issue for the 53 million uh, family caregivers in our country that give their time and their financial support and energy to help a loved one age in place. Those folks, actually, some of them have an opportunity to be reimbursed through government programs that are looking to help older adults safely age in place. And so she has created, I'd say, a financial product that allows family members to apply for, and if they're eligible, screen for eligibility, and then help them manage the process of reimbursement from the government. It's not relevant for everyone. Right now, there's $30 billion worth of unused government benefits for Mm. older adults. And that comes in part for their caregiving, but also food benefits and transportation benefits and housing benefits. So she's got opportunity of this mismatch between what's available and what's being utilized. So that's an example of a business where she saw kind of this disconnect and realized that through a combination of ingenuity and technology, you could probably solve. It's a great example. And what I really like is, and this is true of the few companies at the moment I know about that you're involved with, they're designed to help seniors or older people, whatever we're going to call people of that age. They're designed to help them live a higher quality, better life. They're designed to help people, which is really terrific. I want to make one other quick point before we ask you to tell people how they can find out more about you and the business, Abby. And that is, if you don't live in the United States, there are still opportunities for you to serve the United States market or some other market where there are lots of people who are going to be part of this longevity economy. So we're talking a little bit about the United States, but we're seeing so much activity in the global marketplace today that things that Abby is talking about, problems can be solved by people who don't live anywhere near the United States or wherever else people are aging and need these kinds of services and products. Can you please tell us what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you to learn more about primetime partners, if potentially they might work with you and whatever else you'd like them to know about Abby? 
Sure. They can just email me at abby, A-B-B-Y, at primetimepartners.com. And we'll do my best to get back or to forward you to the appropriate team member. That sounds simple enough, everybody. And it's Primetime Partners. Primetime is spelled as one word? Yep. One word. Okay. Abby, this has been terrific. I think you're energizing a lot of people by letting them know about some of the opportunities. And I'm wishing you continued great success with what you're doing at Primetime Partners. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Looking Forward or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.